Shh. What's the matter, Morty? Great gowns, beautiful gowns. Fashion has changed. No, it hasn't. Hi, Lauren and Chelsea. This is Jessica of Fuck It from D.C. I don't know if you guys are taking recommendations for episode rewatches, but I just watched The Freaks Show from season two and think it would be a really fun pod episode for you guys to do. Love you guys. Bye. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And Lauren is back from the brink of death yet again to record this episode for you. Yes, guys, we are recording this right after the previous episode, which is why my voice is still in this state. I assume in the future, which is really your present, I'll be completely fine by then. But yeah, well, here's hoping. Oh, well, here's hoping that you'll be fine by then. Okay, thank you. That wasn't like fucked up, was it? No, it wasn't. But I did look up bronchitis and basically it's just like, you know, you'll figure it out. And like, (laughs) they're like the cough should last no longer than three weeks. I was like, excuse me? Uh, That's so fucked. So I have a bit of bad news about the pigeon bag. As you predicted, the wing did fall off. I think as you predicted, the wing fell off. The, that's the bad news. The good news is that the bag is magnetic. So the wing can still be put on. It's just that the hinge has been broken. I mean, I know that we're not, neither of us took home ec or anything or wood shop, but I feel like we could reassemble the hinge. We could, but okay, this is what happened. So I come home from dinner last night and I hear Tat scream in the living room. <laughs> And I walk in and the bag is just on the ground with the wing lying next to it. And I'm like, what the fuck happened? It was just on my bookshelf. Then I look up and I realize that Amy Arbus's seminal street fashion photography book on the street had tipped over, knocked the pigeon bag off my bookshelf about five and a half feet to the cold, hard hardwood floor below and that's what happened but I was like what the fuck out of all the things like my precious bag our precious bag I mean let's be honest it's really your precious bag it's fair thank you for including me I would have assumed Quido took it down I know but he didn't um thankfully he doesn't really fuck with my clothes and shoes which is a real godsend but anyway if anyone like knows how to like repair plastic in the los angeles area i don't know if there's like a specialist i could take it to tat was like just take it to like your normal like shoe and bag repair place i'm like are you fucking kidding like they're gonna laugh me out of the store Yeah, you have to go to a place you've never been before so they never have to see you again. Surely there's somewhere in downtown LA that I can just like drop this bag off and someone will fix it. There has to be a 3D print shop in the Arts District near Dover Street that is doing knockoff J.W. Anderson (laughs) pigeon wings for just such an occasion. Uh, Anyway, so I just, I had to... I had to address that at the top of the show. It was just really weighing on me. As the voicemail that opened this episode indicates, we'll be watching The Freak Show because someone called in and told us we should, and that was the last message we heard, and we went, okay. Sure. Love that app. So shall we get into it? It starts with... Well, even even before that, it is written by our love Jenny Bix. Yes. So we are three episodes into season two, which I didn't realize. I knew that this episode occurred before she gets back together with Big, but I didn't realize like, boom, third episode into season two, this was that episode. Okay, question. So Jenny Bix, who wrote like all of our favorite Sex in the City episodes, also wrote The Greatest Showman. 
<laughs> oh shit. So she's clearly like and I didn't see that. So I don't know. Is the greatest showman about the circus or about a freak show or a combination of the two? I believe it's a version of PT Barnum's story. Anyway, clearly she's like obsessed with this kind of imagery. There's definitely a bearded woman in The Greatest Showman, I believe. Right. Like she sings the big song that they play like in Rite Aid sometimes. Sorry, I'm looking at the IMDb uh, synopsis and it only says, celebrates the birth of a sh- of show business and tells of a visionary who rose from nothing to create a spectacle that became a worldwide sensation. Love Jenny Bix, but actually no. You know what? We should watch The Greatest Showman. Let's support our girl. Showman or showman? Whatever. You say showman, I say showman. Exactly. All right. Top of next year's Patreon episode, The Greatest <laughs> Showman. No one joins just to hear that episode to no one's surprise. So this episode opens with some stock footage of Ellis Island back in the day. Look, the writer and me can appreciate that sometimes you get backed in a corner and you have to make connections that don't exactly make sense. And she has to connect the idea of immigrants at the turn of the century coming to America with the idea of a first date. (laughs) She says something to the effect of like, you know, a crowded Manhattan bar in the meatpacking district does feel like Ellis Island. It's like, does it? Uh, That hope is alive and it's called a first date. Every bar resembles Ellis Island. I love it. And it's no longer New York State. It's the state of matrimony. Also, I just want to make the point that in general, I love Sex and the City episodes that start with her just being like Manhattan, you know, the city of this, the city of that. Like, I feel like that describes like 50% of episodes of Sex and the City, which is cool. Well, because it is the fifth character. I don't know if you've heard that before. (laughs) So Samantha is on a date with a guy named Harrison, who is a successful litigator who takes steam baths with Ron Perlman. Yeah, I wasn't really going to focus in on that. <laughs> uh, he also has a an apartment on Museum Row, so... That's impressive. I Just mean, like Jackie O. His specialty is sexual harassment, which he tries to use as a line to court Samantha in bed and says, my specialty is sexual harassment, and this is a classic case of sexual harassment. And Samantha's like, oh yeah, that's my specialty too. <laughs> which really makes you realize, like, I think a lot of the lines they would have given Samantha in and just like that they gave to Anthony... Oh, for sure. Well, also, he makes the point that most sexual harassment lawsuits are filed by older women. I don't know if this is actually true, but it's like the inference of that kind of being like they filed these lawsuits because they're like bitter and unfuckable. I don't know. This is like some aftermath of the film disclosure or something. (laughs) So Samantha is triggered because he's like, what are you, 40, 41? Which like, yeah, but like, don't fucking say it out loud. Yeah. And then she goes to the bathroom. She's like, oh, I have to freshen up. He's like, well, I think you're fresh enough already. It's like, Jesus Christ. These are a lot of the men in this in these episodes have definitely read Kim Cattrall and her husband's sex book. (laughs) So Samantha comes back from the bathroom and this man is all sort of trussed up, chained up in what looks to be a broom closet. Or as Carrie calls it, the world's smallest den of iniquity. (laughs) It's pretty funny funny it's a great joke especially within the world of sex in the city but just you would have to introduce this idea to someone like that's not a great way to you can't really spring a kink especially like a lifestyle kink on someone like that 
Well, it's also like, yeah, he's a freak because he's into BDSM or that's kind of how it's presented. But actually, he's just a freak for the way in which he presents this to his would-be sexual partner. Also, the way he speaks to Samantha. But to be fair, Samantha, like, could be a dominatrix. Like, Samantha has the right temperament for that job, for sure. But clearly, she's not into it. Oh, yeah. I mean, going back to Sex in the City, too, I more believe that Samantha was a dominatrix to make money when she first got to New York than a f- bartender at CBGB's. Oh, absolutely. She was, like, I think she would be some combination of door girl at a hot club by night and midtown dominatrix by day. I'm now realizing that and Just Like That needs, like, the person perfect Samantha replacement is essentially Julia Fox. <laughs> like a born It's in, true. She has big Samantha energy, which I appreciate. Born in Manhattan, teenage dominatrix. Love. Ends up in films. Yeah. Did you catch the name of this coffee table book? I also love any episode where they're at a hip place because Samantha is running the party. Oh, totally. And in this instance, it's a party for the the coffee table book du jour, but what was it called? I didn't notice. So I thought it was like New York perversity or something when it first went by and I went back and paused it. It's New York wreckage, which I feel like they could have, because this is such a theme-based episode that they could have hit that within the book party, but it's just New York wreckage. Hmm. And like a double image, which that must have been a thing at that time in New York that kind of passes us by watching it uh, in 2022. So they're talking about Samantha's weird sexual encounter. I like how Carrie's like, what if he's still (laughs) chained up in there? Yeah, Samantha's like, ah, the super will find him eventually. I mean, if he got himself in there, again, I mean, not to dwell on this too much, but this must be a seduction tactic for him. I don't think this was the first night he decided to try that out. I mean, yeah, a lot of people, you know, want to ambush you with their freaky shit. But if you're going to do that, I think you have to be able to get yourself out of there. I'm sure there was, I don't know, a key in his collar or something. Yeah. So then we hit upon the idea of that any man over the age of 30 and single, there must be something wrong with them. And I got to say, Miranda's not wrong. But then Carrie's like, well, what about us who are single? And she's like, oh, we're just choosy. Don't worry about it. We're fine. (laughs) Which I also agree with. Yeah. Meanwhile, Charlotte is talking to her new dream man, some guy named Mitch Saylor. His name is Mitchell. (laughs) Mitchell. And this piques Samantha's interest because she knows him as Mr. Pussy. I wish they would have done more of this, of of this New York lore, like men who are just out there where it's like, oh, that's Mr. Pussy. Who is Mr. Pussy based on? Is there a real Mr. Pussy? Also, I really wish I could say pussy in that Kathleen Turner voice from Serial Mom. Pussy. Pussy Willow. I love that Carrie categorizes this as he's so cute to be so nasty. It's like, is going down on someone that nasty? I know, I know. Isn't it literally third base? Yeah. Like, it's so non-offensive that we've given it a baseball metaphor. Yeah, but aren't there just, like, a lot of people that just, oddly enough, just think it makes you kind of, like, gay? You know, like DJ Khaled? 
That's one of the best self-owned in recent history when he did that interview where he was like, oh yeah, I don't eat pussy. And like collectively the world, including The Rock, was like, nah, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, I forgot that The Rock inserted himself into that situation. But in the most PG way of like, now I'm not going to say anything, but let's just say The Rock excels in everything he does. And then he got owned by Nicki Minaj in that song also. Oh God. Um, I also just want to say that Mitchell Saylor isn't cute. He looks like a producer for the Tucker Carlson show. (laughs) Absolutely giving that energy. Now, I have to ask, because this is your favorite statistic about straight sex. Do we think Mitchell has a micropenis? Um... Well, as we know that, <laughs> oh, what you want me to bring up the fact that women that date guys with micro penises have a higher level of sexual satisfaction than than women with partners that have maybe average size penises. I just love that you've commem- commemorated this in it's your mind. It's true. It's a literal fact. From where? I don't know. <laughs> Fucking Google it. From Dan Savage. Um, Miranda is correct. Instead of eating out, it should be eating in, right? Yeah. Um, so they're having this conversation and then this woman walks out of the bathroom and is like, ooh, are you talking about Mr. Pussy? Like, he, like, made me come so hard that, like, I passed out or something like that. That's what she says, right? That is what she says. Impressive. You gotta try it out. And then, like, they go back into the club or the restaurant or whatever and he's, like, eating oysters seductively, which Mm -mm. is so gross to me. That's never hot. Like, I think oysters are, like, a very chic food in general but slurping them with sexual overtones like disgusting also because i habitually watched dick tracy as a child there's a character that chaz palmentary plays called lips and he's got like exaggerated lips and he suckles on gigantic oysters so like as a child i was like (laughs) gross gross And then we get something I don't think we've ever seen before or since, which is Carrie goes on multiple first dates. This was great, actually. So she dates three guys. Date number one is a documentary producer who apparently made some documentary about like saving the seagulls or something. But really at heart, he's just like a ruthless capitalist who just wants to like make money producing action movies. And I'd like to think he did that. I'd like to think that right now he's in Serbia making John Travolta action films that go (laughs) straight to Redbox. But everyone gets a name. He's the man with no soul. And this is when the freak show circus music starts to come in, which is really fun, actually, I think. Like, it's very, like, heavy-handed, but it also totally works. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to call something the freak show and call men freaks, might as well go down, be this literal. Also, this episode in particular is especially extra, and, like, they really adhere to the theme. Like, the theme is that men are freaks. All of them have different experiences around the fact that men are freaks. And in our rewatches, we've noticed that even when they do theme-based episodes, it really only applies to two, maybe three characters max. But this is a rare episode where it affects all four characters. Yeah, love it. Bachelor number two, the man with two faces. I'm just going to say it. He's not hot enough for Carrie, but I did understand his anger issues about people standing too close. Okay, see, I thought that was crazy. And I would like (laughs) run screaming if I was on a date with someone and they did that. Oh, I would never do that. But I would be thinking standing in line like you are too close. Right. And then date number three is a stockbroker 
that apparently made like $2 million on bonds in the past year. But he's a kleptomaniac who steals from the $1 book section of the Strand. Which is where I would like to think Jenny Bix got a biography about P.T. Barnum that started this whole journey for herself. (laughs) And then we get the one and only appearance of Carrie talking to camera, which like the last episode we did, the baby shower, is startling. Because you're like, oh shit, oh okay, we're still doing this. (laughs) I know, it is jarring. And then we get a rare... I couldn't help but wonder with no I couldn't help but wonder. Yeah, it's great. So she's sitting in her apartment reading a book about circuses and freak shows, which she just has. This is so problematic. You can never do this today. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. Maybe Miranda was right. Maybe they should have never outlawed freak shows. Okay, I'm sorry. Was that a cut scene? Because I don't ever remember Miranda saying that. Because at least then they would be rounded up in one place. Ooh. Now they're out there among us roaming free. Is it true? Are all men freaks? Usually we can have more of a discourse about the I couldn't help but wonders in an episode. But this is really just a black and white question. Are all men freaks? I mean, I think Ben says it the best later in this episode, which is men may be freaks, but women are just bizarre. Sometimes a good bizarre. Yeah. You know, I consider myself strange and unusual i mean hashtag not all men are freaks but like i think everyone that dates in new york city for long enough you get to a place of exhaustion paranoia disillusionment that could lead you to have thoughts like this oh yeah we're all in a 1970s alan pakula paranoia thriller (laughs) so in watching this series as in-depth as we have We've noticed that Charlotte's sex life is pretty much comes in second to Samantha when it comes to diversity. So I know that this was the characterization of Charlotte, especially at this time. But like, I don't think she would laugh at being gone down on. Because that's the other thing they discuss in the bathroom is like, like, you do that, right? And she's like, yeah, but like, I don't talk about it. And then Carrie's VO is like, actually, like the only thing going down during Charlotte's dates is like a gold American Express card or something. So it's like she's just dating guys that aren't eating her out, I guess. Charlotte is so into this that Carrie has the voiceover. If Mitch was a freak, Charlotte was ready to go off and join the circus. It's like, (laughs) what? And then we have this really fun montage of him going down on her like for a solid week so she's having like wardrobe changes and stuff it's cute it's funny it's one of those great comedic sex in the city sex scenes yeah it's a rare thing where it's visually beautiful because the camera's going up and down to indicate the the changing of the days but it's a comedic sex scene that's actually showing good sex which so rarely happens yeah Like, there's good sex in the show, but it's not funny. And there's funny sex, but it's usually bad. Yeah, true. Cut to Carrie sitting in Central Park by a fountain drinking a bodega coffee. And some hot bookish guy in, like, chinos and a corduroy blazer is, like, sitting next to her reading a book. It's, like, such propaganda of how you think you will meet people when you move to New York. Also, this man is the most Kevin Klein looking Paul Rudd that has ever existed. It's true. Also, this Carrie look with the pink zip up that isn't a Juicy Couture zip up, but looks very much so in like the vintage pattern skirt, the clashing bag, pashmina. Oh my God, the chokehold pashmina's (laughs) had between the years 1998 and 2002. I'm ready to bring them back. I'm ready for like a black pashmina or something. 
Pashmina.com, baby. But yeah, if anyone out there has like met someone in this kind of way, can you call in and tell us? Like meeting a stranger in Central Park and then going on a date with them. Well, this is this is getting New York pilled. Like this is the Nora Ephron sex yeah. in the city. You can just meet a stranger on the street and they can be the love of your life and you guys go out on a great date together. Yeah. Or you like meet someone like in Citibank or something. That's always the example you love to give (laughs) as like what you thought New York was going to be like. (laughs) Or you're at a Whole Foods and you both touch the same papaya or something. Yeah, you're at Zabar's and you like reach for the same like piece of locks, you know? I don't know if this line is fat phobic or not. Like this episode is just very weird with the references they make. But Carrie says to Ben, I mean, it's definitely fat phobic to answer your question, but go on. I once saw the world's fattest twins and they were both married and their wives were very skinny. To which Ben goes, maybe it was an optical illusion. It's like, what is this dialogue? I need a flashback to like a 10-year-old Carrie Bradshaw at the state fair. And then the guy asks her out. Very cute. And they both exchange their unlisted numbers. The most forbidden thing you can do in 1999. So now we're with Samantha. She's walking down the street, what looks like Madison Avenue or something. And she runs into this random woman who actually I think has the line of the episode because she's talking about how she got fat from her ass injected into her face and there's something so funny about the way she says fat from my own ass this was so in the zeitgeist in 1999 because there's almost an identical line in fight club when edward norton is talking about tyler durden stealing the fat from women having plastic surgery and making it the soap and he's like tyler selling their fat asses back to them right so this was like very much (laughs) in the world right that I don't know if there was a 60 minutes piece that just like (laughs) fixated everyone in America or what so an hour later Samantha got an appointment with New York's most expensive plastic surgeon and she ate a Big Mac which is another McDonald's reference in the show oh yeah crazy it's really wild how Burger King Carl's Jr. Wendy's don't exist in the world of sex in the city It's also more interesting that we don't have a McDonald's sponsorship or something. We eat trash food. Yeah. We're not going to pretend and be like, no, guys, you can get the salad at McDonald's. It's like, no, sometimes you need a McDonald's fountain soda and some French fries. But you know what's literally crazy about McDonald's is I don't know if you've ever looked up McDonald's on Postmates. Don't judge me. But... (laughs) They figured it out so now you can get McDonald's within 15 minutes because you know McDonald's turns into like a different kind of food after like the 30 minute mark. So they're bridging that gap with their delivery now, which is genius. I don't want to know what they're doing, but yeah. So Carrie goes on the date with Ben. He's an editor at a political magazine. Do we think he works for George Magazine? He must work for George Magazine, which I actually subscribed to as a child. And I'm so sad that I don't have any of those issues anymore because the covers were amazing. The covers were better than the magazine itself. Which is weird because we're discussing JFK Jr.'s political pop culture entertainment magazine from the late 90s, which in a way he was ahead of the curve because 
because that's where politics ended up going is in the entertainment arena. Yeah. And he sort of like was aping the sort of covers that Vanity Fair was doing at the time. And like they were so they were so good. It was kind of like a weird combination of like Vanity Fair and like a spy magazine or something and like a Newsweek. Yeah. And basically the entire crooked media podcast network is what George was then. Yeah. I don't think enough people talk about the opening George issue that that was the Cindy Crawford is George Washington right so good um so Carrie's outfit on this date is how I want to dress in 2023 that like 70s leather it's Mm -hmm. longer than a jacket but it's not quite a coat the tee the skirt and also that Gucci bag that I've never been able to ID that is the one that she's wearing at the end of shortcomings when she's got the super short skirt and that kind of lady bag well to me it looks like it's just a 70s era Gucci bag I know but I've like searched through real real vestiaire eBay like I can't even Google like I can't I can't find that bag anywhere it's never come up again okay well if anyone has any intel about this please let us know I know it's sitting in Sarah Jessica Parker's archive. (laughs) We're going to get a paparazzi photo of her daughters one day holding the bag. (laughs) So now we get a scene, the kind of scene I really, really miss from Sex in the City, which is all the girls hanging out in Carrie's apartment. Because you can't go out every night. It's true in New York, you're out a lot of nights. But there are the rare evenings where it's like, let's just come over to my apartment and order takeout or something. Yeah, and Samantha's talking about the fact that she got the fat sucked out of her ass and it's being, like, stored in some, like, cryobank. Is that the term, or does that just apply to embryos? It's in some refrigerated storage unit in Queens. There's some dry ice situation happening in there. And she's wearing a girdle because she has to keep her skin tight for the procedure. And... (laughs) It has a hole in the crotch for peen or whatever. And then she's like, yeah, like I fucked like a Calvin Klein model last night and I've never felt sexier, which love. Yeah, there there are certain moments with Samantha over the years, like when she has the nude photos taken in season four, no one cares. And so then she's like, fuck it. And it gets takeout and orders like a burger and fries and stuff. And the guy who drops it off sees the nude photo. He's like, nice lady. So it's like when she lets her guard down is when she has her when she feels herself the most also should there be a hole for when she poops okay ew surely she should be doing that like before she gets dressed okay well you never know (laughs) also carrie is wearing knee-high rainbow toe socks i didn't even notice that they were toe socks until i watched the episode this time like the hundredth time which is insane but it is giving like there's always a wacky person at pride (laughs) you know what i mean like someone with like green hair and like a boa and like rainbow toe socks with tevas or something this is giving that i thought you were gonna say it's giving Times square because there are certain carry items that they never explain how she comes to own them but it it does make you think like carrie must have been seeing a broadway play or something and pass by like a tourist shop and we're like oh those are fun yeah She also is like the weirdo that would shop at one of those weird sock stores that's in an airport. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. So this is when Carrie brings up the idea of a sex haze, which is when you have such good sex with someone that you start to overlay the idea of a relationship with them, even though there's no basis for it. I think everyone has been there at some point. Of course. 
But as Samantha says, you don't fall in love with Mr. Pussy. You use him for a little while, <laughs> and then you put him back in the dating pool so other people can try him. Yeah, you set him free. Miranda says, Charlotte's not having a relationship. She's having multiple orgasms. I like when they're like, do you even talk? Do you even fuck? Which again, brings, brings it back to the idea of, does this gentleman have a micropenis? Then we have a really fun scene where Miranda and Carrie are on a double date. Which the only other times I can think that that has happened is there's the time that Miranda dates Carrie's ex. Right. That's kind of the closest. And then, I mean, there's the double date that another... With Aiden and Steve. Yeah, another non-date double date. Is strawberry ice cream boring? I would never say that someone who prefers strawberry ice cream is boring. I don't think it's boring. Like vanilla ice cream is yeah. boring. Also, it feels like Miranda's date that the that the producers really wanted to get Adam Goldberg, but Adam Goldberg was not available <laughs> that week. Okay, well, the guy that Miranda's set up with, the guy who plays quote-unquote Manhattan guy, is so, he's giving, like, I don't know, like, David Blaine glamour, almost. He has, like, a leather blazer. It's just very legit looking. And this is a person that exists, so... In the episode, they define Manhattan guy as a genetically mutant strain of single man that feeds on Zabar's and midnight shows at the Angelica. And that's true. That's a real person. And usually I find they're native New Yorkers. Which is weird because most native New Yorkers that I know do leave and they usually leave for college. It's very rare that someone who grew up in Manhattan also decides to go to college in Manhattan. Yeah, but some of them do. Also, do you consider Connecticut the country? I consider Connecticut the suburbs, but... Yeah. No, it's not the country. Pennsylvania is the country. Yeah. Also, Miranda is so off the hook from this date as soon as he's like, cat people are freaks, which they don't bring up when Miranda and Carrie are talking to each other. Miranda's like, I'm going to go. And Carrie's like, please stay. Miranda, is it like, he just called me a freak for having a cat? Like, goodbye. Yeah. But I also like how Miranda's like, I have to go feed my cat. And Carrie's like, oh, I thought you just fed it. She's like, I have to feed it again. Yeah. So good. Also, how dare Carrie violate the code that they have taken years to perfect? And then Miranda makes the point that you can tell everything about a person by who their friends are, which I do think is true. Fair enough. But we don't really get a red flag with Ben. No. It doesn't, it doesn't, it go, doesn't exist. Well, it doesn't go long enough to, to find his, his ick. So Carrie and Ben are like curled up in bed. I think they've just had sex, right? They're about to. They're making out before they make love. And Carrie's like, is there anything like weird and freaky that I should know before like we get into this? And he shows her his Tweety Bird tattoo that he got. I assume he lost a bet at like a bachelor party or something. Yeah, I think he says he was drunk in New Orleans or drunk during the spring break. And he's like, I bet you're perfect. And she's like, well, I fell when I was like, I don't know. A kid and have some stitches and then he's like you're scrappy I like scrappy and it's like yeah Carrie is scrappy she's glamorous but she's scrappy for sure but these are not equivalent things like I know lo I love Jenny Bix but I do feel like she was watching Lethal Weapon 3 or something which has a seduction scene where Mel Gibson and Rene Russo are showing off each other's scars which is inspired by the scar scene in Jaws and then they have a scene like that in Chasing Amy where they're talking about sex injuries they've oh, gotten oh yeah yeah of course <laughs> you blocked out the film but you're like I remember that scene 
also, <laughs> there's a lot of good Carrie voiceover because this is when Carrie goes as a transition to explain what's going on with the other characters. While Miranda was busy feeding her pussy, Charlotte was trying not <laughs> to feed hers. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, because she's out on a date with Mr. Pussy because she's trying to like make their relationship work and make them have a relationship that's based on something other than oral sex. Who would have figured that on this menu is a... Uh... Just straight up figs? Yeah, stone fruit. <laughs> So he's like grossly eating a fig. And that was that was the deal breaker for Charlotte. That was the end of it. Fair enough. She what did she say? She's like, I realized I had stayed at the carnival for too long or something like that. Which the man has a skill set. <laughs> so Samantha just got the fat injected into her face. Which I forgot about this episode. I, I remembered what happens next, but I thought she stopped from getting that procedure done. But nope. She's like, great, we did that. What what more can we do? She did. And then Carrie's voiceover says something to the effect of like, Samantha, according to Samantha, getting surgery is like being at Barney's. Like once you're in the store, you might as well shop. It's like, okay. And so the surgeon goes through with like a red marker and just kind of like marks her up. He says, among other things, that he will do a knee lift on her, which I don't know if knee lifts are, are real things. I'm sure that they are. But my mom always loved that Joan Rivers joke where she's like, I just want you to pull everything above my knee and just like pull it up. <laughs> so she looks at herself in the mirror covered in all of these marks and cue the carnival music. She realizes that she is now a freak or has become a freak in her quest for youth and beauty. Yeah, but she'll forget about that in seasons to come. Like, she's not against plastic surgery. She's just like, ooh, I look weird now. And good for her. I mean, plastic surgery is only getting better and better. Sort of scares me thinking about previous fads of plastic surgery. Totally. Well, like, every woman that... Sorry, any listeners who got 90s era breast implants, but those like weird... Carmen Electra tits. Yeah. Not that she doesn't have amazing tits, but it's a, sp it's a specific style of implant that they just don't do anymore. I call them grapefruit titties. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're back with Ben and Carrie. And Carrie has surmised that Ben must be a freak in order to have survived up until this point. So they've had sex. It's the morning. He leaves because he has like a planned soccer game to go to. What are your feelings about you spend the night with someone and they're going somewhere and they want you to stay, which is fine. But I think that's lovely. No, no, it's lovely. But he's like, I'll be back in two hours. Maybe he lives right by the park and he's just going to, you know, kick the ball around. What? Whatever. But Carrie, now that she's in his apartment all alone, decides to ransack his apartment to find some evidence that he is a freak because he seems too good to be true. Yes, and up until this point, because I went back in the scenes that we have previously seen Carrie and Ben together, she's never smoked before. And I thought it was really presumptuous for her to just start smoking in his apartment not just his apartment like in his closet like with his clothes you yeah, know that smell is gonna last forever like her head is like in his refrigerator and she has like a marlboro light dangling from her lips so she finds a wooden box and is trying to open it which i remember that she goes through his stuff and i thought that's how he caught her but like I forgot that she tries to pick a locked box. Like, what are you going to do once you break that lock? Yeah. 
And it turns out you didn't even have to do that because you actually, it's an optical illusion. You just move the the top of the box over and it opens up. Yeah, so Ben comes back early and surprises her and finds her like this and is obviously pissed because she's ransacked his apartment. I think he has a very measured reaction considering. Yeah, and he opens the box. It's his Cub Scout badge collection. Very wholesome. Although, I mean... With what we know about the Boy Scouts of America, some stuff might have <laughs> happened that might have affected Ben, so. Jesus Christ. Not saying that that makes him a freak, I'm just saying. Yeah, maybe not the most um, wholesome, of, wholesome of institutions. But this is when Ben says, I thought you were one of the normal ones, and Carrie goes, I was. I love that she just kind of cops to it yeah. and is well, not but- even defensive about it. A lot of people still would be, you know, they, they'd lie or be like, oh, I was, you know. Be a full narcissist and be like, I didn't do this. Actually, I didn't do it. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm also pretty sure that Ben's apartment is a redress version of Big's apartment. Hmm. Because that like bedroom to living room situation, I think is like just without the pocket doors, but is how Big's apartment looks. Hmm. I've never noticed. So (laughs) this is a whopper of an ending voiceover. Carrie leaves his apartment and she says, that was the day I came face to face with my freak. It's not just men, it's all of us. And if the world's fattest twins can find love, there's hope for all of us. Somewhere out there, there's another little freak that will love us and understand us and kiss our three heads and make it better. But in the meantime, we'll always have Manhattan. What? (laughs) I think it's kind of cute. It's interesting. Apart from the the fat phobic elements of it, but you know. These fat people found love. Clearly I can too. Yeah, these fat deformed people. Jesus Christ. But it's funny that I feel like Carrie's freak show moment happens later in the season with the single and fabulous cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would almost That's the next episode. Wow. Carrie's taken a lot of L's at the beginning of season two. But I really, really love this period in the show because everyone is single no one has a boyfriend right at the beginning of season two and it's really nice oh yeah so miranda will meet steve later this season carrie starts seeing big again again. and charlotte doesn't have a main love interest until trey the following season which is fascinating yeah anyway so how many minolos are you giving this episode seven and a half okay Really? I think it's better than that. I was going to give it nine Manolos. Okay. I'm giving it nine because I like the commitment to the theme. I love the woman saying fat from my own ass. <laughs> and I love that we get to meet the one that got away, this boyfriend, this man that may have actually been a very good fit for Carrie. Yeah. When I think of Carrie Bradshaw on paper, all other boyfriends aside, I would imagine that she would have married a novelist a la the two Justin Thoreau characters or an editor of some New York magazine or newspaper. Yeah. Who kind of looks like Liev Schreiber, which this is maybe a, a mini episode somewhere, which is, yes, Sex and the City, especially at this time, was pulling a lot of great New York theater actors. But the list of New York actors of the time that weren't pulled in as Boyfriends of the Week is astounding. Liev Schreiber's one of them. Chris Maloney. Henry Rollins. Yeah, it seems like Liev Schreiber should have really been a Carrie Love interest. Well, in my fan fiction, he is. He's Aiden adjacent. 
He's a cerebral, intellectual Aiden, yeah. He could have been, she could have started writing for the style section of the New York Times, and he's her editor. She's loyal to the New York star forever, babes. <laughs> She's, come on. All right, well, I guess that's it. Thank you guys for listening, as always. And uh, call the hotline and tell us what episodes we should watch. Clearly, we listen to you guys. Bye, guys. All right, until next week. Bye. <laughs>